Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. It's a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Today is episode 430, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. Let's read our passage. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper, so one person is hungry, while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God? and humiliate those who have nothing. What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. This is Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. He had founded the church five years earlier on his second missionary journey. Now he's in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, and he's sending this letter to the church in Corinth. Some of it is based on things he's heard about. Some of it is based on questions that they have raised in a letter, and some of their questions are actually challenges. So he's beginning a new section here, talking about the Lord's Supper. And it seems that this is not something they've asked about, but something he has heard. And so he's uh, speaking very pointedly here. The problem seems to be divisions along the lines wealth. The wealthy versus the poor. The haves versus the have-nots. The upper class versus the lower class. Whatever it is, there seems to be this division in them as they gather for their meals. And the core issue is the Lord's Supper. It seems they have some kind of communal meal, a community meal, and then part of that is the Lord's Supper. But there's inequity in how this is being done. Now, one thing we've got to remember is they're not meeting in the church fellowship hall. They're meeting in somebody's home. And based on archaeological research has been done on homes from that era, being a wealthy person's home. In fact, in the book of Romans, Paul mentions Gaius, who hosts the church in his home. Now, that's later, so it may not be where they're meeting at this point in time, but they're meeting in somebody's home, and a wealthy person's home would have something that we would understand as a dining room kind of place, but would only hold maybe a dozen people. And there would be something, an atrium, maybe an outdoor patio kind of thing that might hold maybe another 40 or 50 people. So we're not talking a, a giant church fellowship hall with tables set up because mostly everybody's reclined around tables. And what some people theorize here is that the wealthy people are getting together ahead of time and having their own private meal with all the, the wealthy people. And they're probably doing that in the dining room. Then the poor people who have to work for a living show up later, and they're all out in the atrium. And so two issues. One, they're probably not all together celebrating the Lord's Supper. And secondly, they're not eating the same thing or the same amount, where the wealthy people in their private dining room having their private meal or having a wealthy person's meal while the people out on the patio are being given something much less. And maybe only that which represents the Lord's Supper, not part of the meal itself. And so the exact 
details of it are hard to say because Paul doesn't give us that. What Paul gives us is the issues, the division among the people. Let's dive into it, see what we can learn. Verse 17, Paul says, Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. So this is a contrast with uh, back at the beginning of chapter 11, verse 2, before we started talking about the head covering issue. There he says, there's some things I praise you about. Here he says, this is something I do not praise you about. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Come together is used five times in this section from here through the end of the chapter. And this section is basically divided into four subsections. What we're covering today, verses 17 to 22, this is where he's stating the problem. The problem is you have these divisions based on socioeconomic lines, and that's not good. That's the problem. Then the next section, he's going to talk about the tradition, what the Lord's Supper actually is in verses 23 to 26. Then he's going to follow that up in verses 27 to 32 with kind of a so what based on the tradition. He's going to talk about the importance of discerning the actual body of Christ. And then the last part, verses 33 to 34, are kind of the so what to today's section, the problem at hand. And that's where he's talking about actually welcoming and receiving believers together, being unified. So today he's stating the problem in verses 17 through 22. So come together is a key here. It's three times in this section and then twice in that final section. So coming together is the church. And the problem is what they're doing is they're not being together as the church. They allegedly are coming together. They're coming together the same place, but they're not together unified as the body of Christ. So come together is a big deal. And what you're doing is not for the better, but you're actually making things worse. Verse 18, for to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Few things here. One, for to begin with, sounds like there's going to be a series of things, but it's just this one thing. So just worded a little oddly there. He says, I hear that when you come together. So here he's making the point that this isn't from your letter. There's people have told me this. Who told him? We don't know. Could be the people from Chloe's household that told him about the factions of people following different leaders, or it could be from the, the men who are from Corinth who are there with him now. But it, regardless, somebody's told him about what's going on. And again, he says, when you come together as the church and these divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. So the divisions, the divisions he talked about back in chapter one were, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos, that they were aligning with different leaders. This is divisions based upon wealth. The haves, the have-nots, the wealthy and the poor. Sociological lines that they're dividing along. But he makes this strange comment, and in part, I believe it. I've heard this, and in part, I believe it. Well, step back. If he didn't believe it, he wouldn't be writing about it with such strong language. So obviously, he does believe it. 
But I think he's he's appealing to the wealthy. Those are the people he's really talking to. He's not saying to the poor people, hey, you guys need to bust your way into the private dining room where the wealthy people are eating and get your fair share. No, he's speaking to the wealthy people who have excluded the poor people and are abusing them in essence. So that's who he's speaking to. So he's kind of, he's acknowledging the bias of his informers. So he's basically saying, yeah, I've heard this and I know they're biased, but I tend to believe them based on what I do know about you guys. Then he makes a comment here in verse 19. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. I think the, the best way to understand this is, particularly the further we go into end times, there will be factions, but there's only really two factions that are actually for real. Believers and unbelievers. Those who are followers of Christ and those who aren't. And we do know that there are people in the church who are not followers of Christ. But the two groups that really matter, there's only two flavors of people in the world from a New Testament view, those who are followers of Christ and those who are not. So yeah, there are factions and that will reveal who are the true believers. Any factions beyond that is sin. And that's what he's pointing out to them, that they are allegedly coming together as the church. But the church is, you know, the picture of the church is unity. So there can't be factions in a church. The only factions that are for real are believers and unbelievers. Verse 20, when you come together, then it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Here you use that phrase, come together. When you come together, when you assemble as the church and Maybe a good thing to point out here is the actual word church. Church is the English word, and it translates the Greek word ekklesia, which means assembly, which was just a follow-on to the Hebrew word kahar, which means assembly. The people of God gathered together has just always been called the assembly, the assembling of the people of God. And so the church is the assembling of the people of God. So this come together you come together to be the church together. And so it's an important aspect that he's talking about. So when you come together to be the church, you may think you're having the Lord's Supper, but you're not. Well, how can he say this? Well, because the Lord's Supper is the idea of coming together before God. And you can't do that with your divisions, with your factions. He explains it in verse 21. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. This is a central issue that he's pointed out. Now, exactly what he means, he didn't explain it in detail, but enough to know there's a problem here. The, the problem is lack of unity. Each one eats his own supper. And there's different ways to translate that and then different ways to interpret what it's translated there. It's not that each person brings his own lunchbox and opens his own lunchbox and eats his own meal. But the idea of the division, the factions are being separated based on who's eaten what and where. So whether it's the wealthy people gathering maybe earlier than the other people can get there and eating a special meal that's just for the wealthy people and then the 
poor people show up and they get either the leftovers or some lesser meal at a later time. It's hard to say exactly, but the point being, there's a lack of unity. There's inequity. The rich people are doing something different, something special, something better, something more. And it is, well, Paul's view, abuse of the poor people. So this eats his own supper, meaning not what everybody gets. And one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Some people want to focus on the drunk part. That's not the issue that somebody gets drunk. Paul speaks about drunkenness enough in other places. The point here is the, the, the contrast. Why would you get drunk? By eating too much, by drinking too much. And so one person doesn't get enough while another person gets too much. That's the contrast here. So one person has been there eating and drinking long enough that they can get drunk on the wine. Another person didn't get enough to actually get a full meal. So that's the, that's the, uh, that's the contrast that Paul's making here. Now, exactly what form that's taken, it's hard to say. But the point being, the wealthy are taking advantage of their position and not treating the others right. Verse 22, don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God to humiliate those who have nothing? If your point's to come together to just have a meal, then eat your meal at home. You're coming together as the church to celebrate the Lord's meal, celebrate the Lord's supper. And don't use that as an excuse to have a party and then maybe tack on the Lord's Supper at some point in it to say, oh yeah, we we did this to to be churchy. His point is you're coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper as the people of God, as the church. And if you just want a a big meal and eat like a glutton, Paul's not saying you can't, but do it at home. Don't come together to gather as the church and then exclude people so you can peg out at your private little party. But he adds what you're doing there. You are despising the church because the church is the gathering of the believers. And you're humiliating those who have nothing. And he finishes this section with, what should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. So he's repeating what he said back in verse 17. And that's contrasting with what he said back in uh, verse 2 when he talked about he did praise them on one, some things. This area, he says, he is not praising them. Lord's Supper is a symbol of unity, the gathering of the people of God, the followers of Christ, to come together and remember what Christ has done. There can't be factions. There can't be divisions. There can't be, well, we get our own special Lord's Supper, and the people over there, they, they don't, well, they get something else, something less. So this is the problem. Now, Paul's going to go on. Next time, we'll look at where he says, okay, that's what the Lord's Supper is really about. And he's going to follow that with a a follow-up to the the theological understanding, and then follow that with a so what, dealing with the problem we just looked at. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue looking at 1 Corinthians.